Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. I cannot believe that you would vote for him. Do you know his past? Do you know what he's done? Do you know his track record? Well, there's no way that you could be a Christian and vote for that person. Well, there's no way that Jesus would ever support that person. There's no way that I could even talk to somebody that would vote for that person. There's not a chance that I could be friends with you if you voted for him. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like what we live in? Does it sound like the the culture of the day? And, And quite honestly, sadly, it's a lot of the conversation in the church. Jesus was traveling with his disciples And he says this statement that they totally misunderstood. And because they misunderstood it, we don't get any more context than his warning. Because they start asking about food and all that stuff. But Jesus, he's with his disciples, probably just the 12. And he says to them, be aware of the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Let me give you a little bit of context for what Jesus would have been saying in that moment. The yeast of the Pharisees, the Pharisees were one of four political parties pulling Israel apart under Roman rule. All of them ultimately had the same objective. They wanted to see Israel restored and the kingdom come. The Pharisees Like it or not, most of us in this room would fit in well with that group. You're welcome. The Pharisees were the middle class moderates who held to the the Levitical law and they vacillated between being separatist with the occupying Roman forces and being collaborationist. And what they were doing is they were mixing their religious and their spiritual ideologies, and it was suffocating the people of Israel. Be aware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Here's what the yeast of the Pharisees looks like. It looks like settling for a lesser view of the kingdom. It looks like living in a natural political plane instead of recognizing the kingdom. The yeast of the Pharisees is the religious spirit. And the problem with the religious spirit is it celebrates and champions good behavior, good morality, a good way of life without knowing God. Not only does it do that, but it puts that heavy yoke, that heavy burden on other people 
and insist that they conform, that they act a certain way, regardless of what they believe. And here's the yeast of Herod. So if the yeast of the Pharisees is a religious spirit, the yeast of Herod is a political spirit. And the political spirit looks for control and order to dominate. It's all about the power of this world. I don't know if Jesus was saying this exactly in that moment when he says, be aware of the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. But when those two forces combine, you get pure evil. It's dangerous. It's toxic. And it will keep people from seeing the kingdom of God. Now the political spirit let me say this, it is alive and well in our day. What the political spirit wants to do is to separate people and create categories and divisions in order to have control. Now the political spirit, you guys are sitting up straight this morning. Now the political spirit actually is less concerned with an ideology and more looking for division and control. And so we find ourselves in a day, quite honestly, in many ways, unprecedented in this thing. We live by identity politics. Well, that person fits this category. They must be an evangelical Christian, and that means they vote this way, and that means they think this way. When this person, they look like this, they have these affiliations, and so they must be that. Before you know it, we start to treat people as if they're some sort of caricature of their political ideology. And so we get what I was talking about just a moment ago. I could never be friends with that person. They voted for him. And the challenge of our day is that the political spirit has mixed with the religious spirit and found its way into the church. Now, let me just be up front with you. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you shouldn't vote or that you can't be involved in politics. I'm just saying there's a better way to live than making that your everything then making that the way that you relate to people, then making that the thing that you talk about all the time. If somebody's more aware of your political affiliation than your belief in God, you probably have a problem. I had a spiritual father, a man named Jack Taylor, and he would talk about the power of the hyphen. And he would say it like this. It was beautiful. He said that, the adjective modifier hyphened before the noun determines the meaning of the noun. So he would say it like this. You could be a kingdom businessman, a kingdom businesswoman. You could be a kingdom teacher. You could be um, 
a kingdom athlete, a kingdom leader, a kingdom educator, all of those kind of things. And what he would say is this, is that the, the word kingdom brings all of the meaning to what business person is. You with me? You following? It actually determines what that word means. And it changes the meaning altogether. And one of the problems that I see is if you were to reverse that, what you get is some really bad ideologies. Let me give you one. Conservative hyphen Christian. Liberal hyphen Christian. Why? Because now your Christianity is determined by your political ideology. And when we begin to allow our political ideology to determine what type of Christian we are, we've stopped being a Christian that Jesus exemplifies in Scripture. You see, your allegiance, any allegiance that comes before your allegiance to King Jesus changes your allegiance to King Jesus. And so when we begin to say, I am, I am this, and what we're doing when we play those games is falling into the hands of the pollsters and the marketers who want to figure out how they can reduce you down to a voting block, to a buying block. And what happens is we begin to live in group think. And that level of group think will always cause us to miss the kingdom. Because we begin to think like everybody else. Now here's the truth for us in the age of social media. How many of you have a social media account or 10? Most of you. Is that you're known to the algorithm as a block. And they start to send you ads and recommended likes. And before you know it, you're living in an echo chamber. Every YouTube video that you watch begins to be curated to you by the algorithm. And it begins to make it seem like everybody who is sane believes what you believe, votes the way that you vote. And anybody that votes or thinks, believes differently, is therefore the enemy. And so then we have in this echo chamber all of these reinforcing arguments that keep us separated and cause us to miss the kingdom. Now, I'm not saying that I believe there's some boogeyman, mastermind behind it all. There could be. I don't know that much. But what I am saying is there's a spirit that's inviting, begging the people of God to live for a lesser kingdom. Are you with me? It's not new. There were similar things going on in Jesus' day. In fact, in Luke 9, we see Jesus on his way to the temple 
And the quickest route from where he is to where he's going is through Samaria. And so he wants to pass through a Samaritan village. Why? Because Jesus isn't playing the us-them game. And so he's going to make his way through. And the people of the city, probably the elders that would have sat at the gate, said, hey, you can't come through here if you're going to the temple. Jesus then organizes a protest and hires some rioters and burns the city to the ground. No. But his disciples want to. In fact, they say, should we not call down fire from heaven to consume this city? Let me say this to you. You may think that's ludicrous. I would never think that way. After 9-11, were you thinking that way? Were you thinking, you know what we should do with the Middle East? We should just blast them all. I think the truth is there is a spirit that is looking to grab us by our emotions and call us out of living for King Jesus. Jesus' response in Luke 9, he says, don't you realize what comes from your hearts when you say that? For the Son of Man did not come to destroy life, but to bring life to the earth. He didn't come to destroy life, but to bring life. Let me say this to you, Christian, little Christ, little Jesus. Are you bringing life? What's coming out of your heart through your mouth? It was, again, not very different in Jesus' day. There were some different things going on. They were not the occupying force. They were the occupied people. So Rome had its rule spread out over most of the world. It was set up into these small kingdoms. That's why Herod was king, but Caesar was the king of kings. And so in Israel, which was like the, the most resistant culture to the Romanization of the world, like they were like, no, we're not doing that. We're doing our own, our own thing. And so there were four different groups in Jesus' day. And it's interesting. Jesus was attracting followers from all of them. Let me explain what was going on. You had the zealots. Say zealots. The zealots were separatists. They were doing two things. They were demanding strict adherence to Levitical law from every Jew. Strict adherence to Levitical law. Here's what they would do if you did not follow that law. Let's say you're a man and you decide, hey, I don't really like my options, so I'm going to go take a Gentile wife. They would lynch you for that. 
the zealots. That's how passionate they were to enforce their ideology. But there was a whole other piece of the zealot agenda. And that was this. They were focused on advocating armed revolution to establish the kingdom of God. They were going to do whatever it meant. And if by violent means, absolutely necessary, probably enjoyable for them to bring the kingdom. Regardless of the casualties, they were going to have their way. Now, the best example we have like that actually fits that ideology would be the Taliban in Afghanistan. Absolutely forcing their way. You're going to wear a hijab. You're going to cover everything but your eyes. And if not, we're going to destroy you. Jesus, however, let these folks into his camp. So we know this. Simon was called Simon the Zealot. It wasn't just because he was full of zeal. It was because he belonged to the party of the Zealots. Judas, the one that betrayed Jesus, Judas Iscariot, Iscariot was probably not his last name. Iscariot is the word that means dagger men. Judas was one of the dagger men. He would run around with the sword, those guys, and they would advocate armed revolt. They'd have these little daggers so they wouldn't get caught. They could hide it under their cloak, but they were a violent sort of people. Then you've got the Essenes, say Essenes. The Essenes were pacifists and separatists who withdrew to the hills and the caves and lived in strict adherence to the law. Uh, Think Amish. Like we're just not gonna have anything to do with the rest of the world. We're just gonna create our own little world. I've seen churches do that. Some of them very intentionally. Knew it of a church that don't know their name, but coming up to Y2K, they like sold everything and bought a piece of land and were like gonna make it through Y2K. That didn't work out too well for them. Um, But it's this idea that we'll be separate and the only way to see the kingdom come is that we would just do our own thing. Most likely, many scholars would believe that John the Baptist was probably a practicing Essene, and then Andrew, who was one of his followers that came to follow Jesus, and possibly Peter. So their deal was not even to engage. Third, you had the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the upper-class collaborationists who did not believe in an afterlife or in a spiritual realm, so they were self-serving, hedonistic, and humanistic. The Sadducees believed, hey, there's not much going on, so what we'll do is we'll figure out how to make life the best for us now. Sounds a bit like America, right? Like you may think, oh, I'm middle class or I'm lower class, like you should see my bank account, I don't have any money in my account. Well, in comparison to the rest of the world, you're doing really well. And the Sadducees compromised 
and collaborated with Rome because they felt like, hey, there is no way we're going to see anything good happen. And so, instead of pursuing the coming kingdom of God, we'll settle for building our own kingdoms of God, our own comfort, our own insulation around us here and now. And if we have to compromise in order to do that, we don't really think there's gonna be any future repercussions to that because we don't believe in the afterlife. We don't believe in the spiritual realm. So whatever life we can make, make it. Just live your best life now. Now, Matthew would have fit in well with the Sadducees ideologically if they would have had him. But they didn't want him because he was a tax collector. He was doing everything they were doing except he couldn't be in the cool kids club because he was a tax collector and tax collectors were just about the worst people in first century Israel because they collaborated with Rome also. And then you've got the Pharisees. That's me and you, right? Excited about that, aren't you? The Pharisees were the popular middle class. They had high standards of Levitical morality, and they went back and forth, like I said, between being collaborationists. They would jump in with Rome in order to keep things peaceful and comfortable. And then they were separatists because they ultimately knew, hey, if we're gonna take scripture seriously, then we know that God's kingdom is coming and we wanna be a part of that. We know that Paul was a Pharisee, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, Joseph of Arimathea, Here's what they all had in common. Their goal was to preserve a Jewish way of life. Each of those parties. They had their own way of getting there. How do we carve out our own way? Let's make Israel great again. Let's just carve out our own little piece. By the way, can I just talk about that phrase just for a second? How many of you want to live in a great nation? Me. Right? Like, that's not wrong to want to live in a great nation. For many of us, the idea of make America great again harkens back to, like, the 1950s, where for white America, America was, was pretty decent. But if you're not a white person, there's a, a really good challenge that make America great again means go, it sounds like going back to segregation. It sounds like going back to being treated unequally. Now, I'm not sure what Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump meant by that statement. But I want you to be aware that even that statement has division built into it. And I think sometimes the truth is there's just a gap between what we say and what other people hear. Are you with me? And so your intent doesn't really matter if somebody's not hearing your heart. I'm gonna be an equal opportunity offender this morning. Is that all right? And for each of them, each of those groups, ultimately, 
They wanted to see the kingdom come, but on their own terms. And so Jesus shows up on the scene, and he is an equal opportunity offender. He is a serious threat to all of them. And so they crucify him. How many of you know that Jesus gave his life up willingly? He said, nobody takes it from me. And we also saw the disgusting face of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod at the crucifixion. You see, what we saw was the powers of this world, the religious spirit and the political spirit collaborating in order to crucify the Messiah that was a threat to their agenda. And I love what Colossians says. It says that he made a public spectacle of them all. You see, there's a way to live inside of the kingdom that turns the powers and schemes of this world upside down and on their head. There's a way to live that Jesus is inviting us into. You see, it's not a bunch of options. It's not that, oh, I could be a kingdom person or I could be a Republican or I could be a Democrat or I could be a libertarian or an independent. That's not the invitation. The invitation is to make Jesus Lord of all and let Jesus be the one that tells us everything else in our lives and puts them in order. There's a way of living that's elevated above the sphere of political and religious debate. There's an invitation for us to sit with Jesus in the heavenly realms and to live in an elevated way of thinking. Let me tell you, the way to get there to the elevated way of living, the kingdom way of living, is not to look for power. It's to go low. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. I don't think this will be on the screen. This is Jesus, and this is, I've heard it described as the manifesto of the kingdom. It's really what he is about. It says, Matthew 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, are, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's what poor in spirit would mean. It mean those who recognize their need for God. Blessed are those who mourn, a better way to understand this would be to mourn over their sin. Here's why we mourn over our sin, by the way. We don't mourn over our sin just to feel bad or to flog ourselves. We mourn over our sin not because we even broke the law of God. We mourn over our sin because we recognize that our way of living has an impact on God's heart. So I'm like, man, God, I am so sorry that I broke your heart in this way. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Oh, the word meek, you could do a whole series on that. Meek does not mean weak. 
Meek means strength under restraint. The, the picture that that word would have painted in Jesus' day is to have a sword, to know how to use it, and to keep it sheathed. Now here's what you need to know that I'm not saying as I'm talking about politics. I'm not saying don't engage. I'm not saying that there aren't issues that matter. Human trafficking is a political issue that matters. Abortion is a political issue that matters. The sexualization of our kids is a political issue that matters. Are you with me? These things matter, but here's what I'm saying. Don't play the games of the enemy. Don't play with the spirit of the day and engage in those things in a way that doesn't represent the king and his kingdom really well. And don't surrender your call as an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven to a political agenda. Are you with me? Don't play those games. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's those who want right relationship with God. Oh, this is beautiful, for they will be filled. It's like if you want God, he's, he promises that he'll give himself to you. Not that they'll stay hungry, they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is a good one for us today. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Oh, blessed are the peacemakers. Now let me say this to you. Peacemakers are not peacekeepers. Are you with me? Like there, there are some things that are unjust. And the, the way to bring peace is through justice. Okay? So I'm not saying roll over and be a pacifist because peacekeepers are just people pleasers. But peacemakers are inviting people into a kingdom way of doing things. And as you become somebody, and here's, here's ultimately my invitation this morning, is that you would learn to live in the kingdom from heaven's realities. Because heaven has a way of thinking. Heaven has a way of approaching people. Heaven has a way of dealing with policies. Heaven has a way of voting. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for or which party to vote for in this series. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But heaven has a way of doing things. And when we engage in heaven's realities and heaven's way of doing things, then what happens is people will say, whoa, in the middle of an us-them situation, in the middle of division, that person brought a solution that represents God really well because they brought peace when it seemed like there was no way for peace. And that's what you're called to live to. You're not called to lend your authority to an ideology lesser than the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me say this on that line. It does not say, blessed are those who are persecuted because of stupidity. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of their belligerent tongue. Are you with me? Like, I see people 
making a mess, slapping the name of Jesus on it, and then calling it persecution. That's not persecution. In fact, when you call that persecution, you take real believers who are experiencing real persecution, who are suffering in their bodies around the world, watching their families ripped apart, beaten to death. You take that and you put your plight, your self-induced mess, and you say, oh, I'm on the same plane as those guys. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of your political ideology. No, because of me, because of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now here's the message. Now Jesus is specifically talking to Israel who are the people of God. And this matters for you and I because we're also the people of God. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? First century times, salt was secondarily for, fate, for flavor and primarily a preserving uh, element. So the role of salt was to preserve what God was up to. You are the light of the world. Let that sink in. You, believer in Jesus, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Don't hide your light under the bowl of political ideology, under the bowl of religious form. Your light's meant to be on a stand. And when you give it away, to things that are lesser than the kingdom, you miss the very heart of God. Because you were put on this earth to be a bright light. You know, the light doesn't draw people to it by force. You with me? Like light draws people to it because it's attractive. The way that you, look, again, I'm not saying don't be involved in politics. But what I am saying is carry the light when you do it. Are you with me? Like, the way that you do what you do matters as much as what you do. So if you're angry and demeaning and divisive about the way that you do what you do, you're not being a light. But you can have, I have very firm convictions. But the way that I do it, I want it to be a light to the world around me. 
wants to be filled of life and love and hope. It doesn't mean that there aren't things that make me angry. There is injustice that grieves the heart of God. And we should join him in being grieved. But we also shouldn't be fatalistic about it. We should join in what God's up to. Join in what he's saying. So Jesus kind of finishes off this whole Sermon on the Mount by Matthew 6, 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Here's the context. He's talking about worldly wealth, the trappings of this world. And the invitation is this, that we would put our life in appropriate order. See, that's what the kingdom does. The kingdom orders things appropriately. You and I on our own, we can add things. We can take different pieces of belief system. Well, I like this, I like that, I like this. But when we don't submit it to the kingdom, it will always be disordered. I will begin to take my identity, and that's really what this game is fighting for, will begin to take my identity and settle it for a political ideology, for a, a, a racial group. I'll begin to take my ideology and, or my identity and surrender it to something lesser than the kingdom. But what the kingdom does is it begins to put everything in order. That's why Paul says, in Galatians, that there's no longer Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave or free in the kingdom. Why? Because what the kingdom does is it strips away all of these false identities, all of these lesser identities, and invites us into kingdom identity. That is son and daughter of God, that I belong to him. And it puts everything else in its appropriate order. And so when you and I say, you know what, I'm going to be a kingdom person, a kingdom man, a kingdom woman, what I'm going to, to do is pursue him with all that I am. I'm going to seek first him and his righteousness, and I'm going to be that to be the thing that orders the rest of my life. It orders my belief systems, my politics, my allegiances. It, it begins to order all of those things under the rule and reign of Jesus. And as we do that, what we'll find is that there are some things that begin to stand out that are disordered, that aren't coherent. Man, I've got a belief system about this, and I missed it. In fact, this morning, some of you, you don't like it, but there's this like thing. It's like, oh, he's touching on that thing, and I don't want to give that up. because I'm so passionate about that thing. And what Jesus is saying, would you trust me with it? Would you surrender to it? You see, Jesus gathered this diverse group of disciples to follow him, and he wasn't looking at how can I get a good cross-section of culture. Wasn't looking, how can I just include everybody? He was not playing that game. 
he was calling who the Father was calling him. And what he was inviting them to was not to represent the zealots or the Sadducees or the Pharisees or the Essenes. What he was asking them to do was to lay down their ideologies and their false identities to step into a kingdom reality. And I believe that when the church begins to embrace the kingdom of God, his rule and reign, that what will happen is that people will begin to lay down their political ideologies and their false identities and say, you know what? I'm all in with Jesus. I'm laying it all down for him. And I'll do what he calls me to do. I'll do it the way that he calls me to do it because my life is his. I believe ultimately that's what everybody's wanting. That's what you're after. That's why you're in the room. That's why you're online. That's why you're following Jesus because you're like, I want in on what he's doing. And so often we settle for lesser ways of living. And the truth is, one of, the, one of the things that I heard in our last election cycle was that if Trump is not president, then we won't have revival. I don't know if anybody else heard that, but I was like, oh, like we think that somehow some sort of political leader is going to be our Messiah. It's going to make things work best for our lives. And if you want to look at the places where the kingdom of God is growing the most, next week we'll talk about God and government, but when you want to look, it's, it's places that don't have a godly government. It's places that don't have godly law. It's places that are unjust and mistreat people, and somehow the kingdom flourishes the most in those places. I'm not saying we go into intentionally some sort of mess like that. That's called foolishness. But what I am saying is that God is not restricted by government. And he's not restricted by politics. And he's going to have his way no matter what. And he's inviting us to say, you know what, I'm all in with what you're up to. Would you stand with me? Let's make some declarations together. I'm gonna invite the ministry team up. I believe this that God is in the house this morning. Are you with me? And that he wants to move in power, that he wants to heal, that there are some of you here in this place that you need to surrender your life to Jesus and now would be a perfect time just to say, Jesus, I'm all in with you. I believe that there are some here that you've had severe pain going on in your body. God wants to touch that. Others of you, you've been devastated by the political spirit and the havoc that has wreaked in your family and in your friends. You've lost friends and family over the deal. And this morning is the right time to do two things. One, to repent to any, of any bit of divisiveness that you've played into. Any bit. You may be 99% right. Repent of that 1%. And here's what repentance looks like. God, I, I see there's a better way and I'm turning from this old way of doing it. There's a, a second thing I want you to do. Maybe, maybe you've already done that or maybe somehow you're right and you haven't played any bit in that. That's maybe 1% of us. But somehow you're there and you just, ask, you just need to ask God, God, would you move in my family and my friends? I want those friends back. I want my family back. I'm, I'm tired of the mess that this religious spirit 
has played or has created. So this morning would be a great time just to pray in those ways. By the way, when it comes to healing, we just see God continue to heal. Had a story come in this week. I don't know if I can share the details, but we had somebody uh, come here, receive prayer, who was like stage four cancer, and now they can't find a trace. Like, we have a God who is moving, who is so good and continues to heal. So let's pray. Jesus, I love you. You can just repeat after me if you feel it. Jesus, I love you. I'm all yours. I'm about your kingdom. I will not participate with the political spirit. I will not participate with the religious spirit. I will not be divisive. I'll be a peacemaker. I want to represent you well. Lead me by your Holy Spirit. I want to be a bright light, a city on a hill that draws all people to you. In Jesus' name, amen.